Yo, Rob Harvilla from 60 Songs That Explain the 90s here to inform you that we are back with 30 more songs because the 90s were super long and had a ton of rad music. Please join us every Wednesday for more 60 Songs That Explain the 90s only on Spotify. It's the mismatch presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus in person in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com slash RG. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, you'll get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Welcome to The Mismatch. I'm Chris Vernon, and joining me as he does every Tuesday from TheRinger.com is Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Bomber, Kevin O'Connor, Kevin O'Candyland, Kevin O'Camera, Kevin O'Cannabis, Kevin O'Climber, Kevin Berno! What's going on? I'm talking to you now, live from Boston. What's up? You are already in Boston, huh? I am in Boston, yes. Flew out yesterday, had a very nice flight, um, and, and now I'm here. You know what? Everybody always bags on all of the... Uh, on their traveling foils, what uh, what airline? Because I'm, I'm going to say this. I did, when I went to New York last week, it was Delta and everything was perfect. So I took I, Delta. It was Delta. We're, we're a Delta team. We got to give them shouts out. You know? I mean, normally, normally I'm a JetBlue guy. I, lo- I love me some JetBlue, but Delta took care of us on this flight. Oh, I figured you would ride private, um, given your success. Uh, game two. <laughs> What, it's just like a, a jet plane across the country? Just like yeah, a jet? Right? Yeah. Figured. Like Air Force One? It's a Spotify jet. Sp- oh, like Daniel X. Yeah. I figured yeah. you could just jump on it with Bill, right? The the Eck one. <laughs> I'm sure Bill flew out there. Could have just jumped <laughs> on it with Bill. Uh, game two. It's one-to-one. And we had this 19-to-two run within game two that was absolutely insane. The Warriors have been incredible in third quarters, and that has been the story for them. They lost one of the games. They won one of the games. They won the first game's third quarter by 14, and they won this one by 21, and then everything else, uh, you know, I mean, Curry's not even playing in the fourth quarter of this game, but a gigantic bounce back for the Warriors to knot up the series. All right, let's go through it. What stood out the most to you? If, I, if I'm going to say, why is this series tied? Why were the Warriors 
able to come back and take care of business in game two? Uh, Draymond Green went from uh, playing very sloppy off-ball help defense uh, to getting switched onto the primary defender against Jalen Brown. He did a great job disturbing him offensively, using his you know long arms to poke at the ball. Because Jalen, of course, as we've talked about a bunch throughout the playoffs, has a bit of a loosey-goosey handle. Draymond effectively bothered him in addition to just being so sharp off-ball with his rotations and his help and the pressure he'd put uh, with, when he did go to help. And additionally, I think Stephen Curry, his two-way play, uh, defensively, he's been tremendous throughout the entire postseason. I thought he had a great game, too, with his help, uh, getting deflections, uh, racked up some steals as well. And I mean, and obviously, like, do we even need to say what Steph does on offense? Like, it doesn't right. even need to be stated. Everybody knows what Stephen Curry does with and without the ball in his hands. Um, so Steph Curry, Draymond Green, those guys, and just the last third point, Chris, the Warriors won the role-player battle. Their guys were better. Gary Payton, Porter, uh, compared to Boston's role players, even the expensive ones like Al Horford, who went from a, you know, a tremendous game one to a bit of a no-show in game two. So I think those are really the three things that come to mind most. Do you think you inspired Draymond Green by saying Al Horford was better than him? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like Draymond apparently gets inspiration from uh, Kendrick Perkins. <laughs> so may- maybe he also gets inspiration maybe. from the mismatch. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Uh, all right. Al Horford, uh, Derek White, Marcus Smart. First game, 65 points, 65% from the field, 65% from three. Game two, 16 points, six for 23 for 26% from the field, two for seven from three, 29% from three. And what's odd about this is, you know, you're talking about the extra guys. I don't think there was nothing that took place, unless you want to say pool, but a lot of pool stuff took place after they were already up big. I didn't think any of the guys had extreme outlier performances for the Warriors, right? When you brought up Wiggins or Porter or whoever else. Like, there's nobody. There, It wasn't like Otto Porter went for 28 points or something, right? Um, on the other hand, when we're talking about outlier performances, and we said this about game one, that Warriors fans were sitting there saying, they're never going to shoot like that again. You know, Draymond Green even went to the press conference and said, those three guys are 15 of 23 from three. We'll be <laughs> fine. Um, and true to form, those three guys went from 65 points to 16 points in the next game. But I do feel like those are both extremes, right? 65 points is extreme, and 16 points is extreme, right? I I mean, they they had, what, four? I think Marcus Smart and uh, Al Horford had a combined four points in the game. I mean, that's crazy, given the amount of minutes they play, as involved as they typically are in these games. And so, yeah, 65 points is crazy. 16 points is crazy. 65% from the field and 65% from three, crazy. 26% from the field, 29% from three, crazy. You know, like, I, I don't know where it settles. We got a lot more games to play, obviously, in this series, but you got to feel like it's going to settle somewhere between there or else the games that they're awesome 
the Celtics are going to have a big advantage. And the games that they're crap, they're going to be at a massive disadvantage. I just feel like the Warriors, I didn't, I didn't watch them and think anybody that any of their performers did anything out of the ordinary, right? It was what it was. It was a good Warriors performance. They didn't score a ton of points. They weren't amazing offensively. Scored what, 106? I mean, you should be able to win that game. Uh, it, it's, it's a little higher than what you'd want it to be, but their defense, they posted their second-best defensive rating of the entire postseason in this game, 89.8. And that is what was shocking to me. And I think that's probably my biggest takeaway from game two was that Golden State defense and how we know uh, the teams that they have met along the way to this point. And for them to have posted their second best defensive rating against this Boston team, that to me was mega impressive. Yeah, and, and like in the case with Horford, uh, think about how different the Celtics offense looks when they're able to kick it out to a wide open Al Horford. We didn't see that happen at all, at all in game two. It, how about this? Know, isn't it? Tw- uh, 12 uncontested shots in game one for Al Horford. He made nine. He had, mm. to your point, four shots, all of them contested. He made one. And, and like another stat, another stat along those same exact lines, Chris. In game one, Horford caught 18 passes behind the three-point line, and eight of those passes were turned into shot attempts by him. In game two, he caught just nine passes, wow. half, and shot zero. None. None. Mm. Like, what the hell? <laughs> it's crazy. And it's because the Warriors made the switch from Draymond to Jalen Brown, putting him on Jalen Brown. Clay Thompson was the primary guy on Al Horford, and he just wasn't leaving him open. I mean, it was like pretty simple. Even like in transition, Horford had some threes in game one, early offense where, you know, he runs up to the, the wing. Nobody picks him up. He shoots an open three. In game two, it was somebody picking him up. They were respecting him as a shooter, not giving him airspace to take those shots. It was like just such simple little adjustments. Respect this guy as a shooter. And then it turned into a big nothing game from him. And that affects the Celtics offense because Tatum and Brown and Smart are not like these savant playmakers and shot creators. They're score-first types of guys. That's who they want to be, even Marcus Smart. And if you're doing that, now it's on the Celtics to adjust here, starting with Game 3 on Wednesday. It feels like so, for both of these teams, so much of their success is predicated on their activity defensively and their ability to force turnovers and get stops and get out and go. Because both of these teams, when they are able to set up their half-court defense, are a big problem for the other one. And when you look at this game, you know, we said the Warriors have to turn them over. And once they get out in space and it's a scramble, and now the matchups aren't necessarily what you want the matchups to be, these guys are catch, catching a lot more space, a lot more freedom of movement because they're not coming off of a dead ball. Well, and 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 that was the big problem for Boston too. Let me just interject. It, these aren't dead ball turnovers. It's not like I threw the ball out of bounds over your head 
and now I get to go set up my defense and you're going. They had 15 live ball turnovers of those 15, uh, Celtics did, of those 15, the Warriors turned that into 33 points. Mm. I mean, that is crazy. That's crazy. To turn 15 live ball turnovers into 33 points, that's, I mean, to average over two points per turnover? I mean, you want to talk about, it's one thing to turn the ball over, it's another to have to pay for it. And the Warriors made them pay for every damn time they threw the ball away. And it certainly made it much more difficult for Boston. And then, of course, when the Warriors are scoring off those, now they get to set up their defense. And we know both of these teams are not half-court savant teams. We would never mistake these for the old Spurs teams in terms of the half-court. In fact, both fan bases will complain about their teams and what they are able or unable to do in the half-court, whether it is the movement, whether it is the type of shots they are getting. But they're Yeah, both, I mean, the, the Warriors yeah. still can tap into that sometimes. Though, they Chris. can. They can. They can. Well, we saw that both games throughout the whole playoffs. But I just told you over a third of their points are off of these things. You know what I mean? They had what, 106 in the game? They had uh, 33 of them are off live ball turnovers. It is interesting, though, how, um, like, Steve Kerr, I don't know, what was it, a month ago? He says, oh, yeah, people wanted me to not run as much pick and roll. Uh, mean, meanwhile, they're they're <laughs> running over 30 pick and rolls for Steph Curry per game, and it's like their most effective way of generating points in the half court. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a pretty good amount. And and we've seen them do that like crazy to the Celtics. And I mean, they, they, 32 and a half per game pick and rolls against Boston through two games, averaging 1.2 points per pick and roll, which is an absurdly high amount. What do you think the Celtics, I mean, they're dropping on pick and rolls, giving him space for that pull up three. That's not working. They're coming out a little higher. That's not working. If you switch, you're forcing more isolations. That's mm-hmm. not working. Uh do you, do you think the Celtics need to be a little more aggressive in the pick and roll? You know, try to blitz them like we saw Dallas try to do last round? Is that is that something that Boston should do in the half court? I think there's certainly some... I think there's very good reason to do that and just do the get the ball out of his hands. And, and I think it is that way because I'd rather live with the other, right? If Clay Thompson was cracking... You know, I'd be a little more worried, but Clay's even missing uncontested shots in this. They kept him in there, even though they're they had the Celtics buried. They kept him in there just to try to have him see something go through the net. Um, and so until the other guys I feel like are demolishing me, or if I'm giving up too many easy buckets off Draymond playing three on two then so be it. But at this point with Curry, I would be, I would be concerned that I'm, I'm letting him get too many good looks. But in fairness, he's making, I read this yesterday, he's making more contested shots than he is uncontested shots. So it is what it is with him. If a guy's willing to pull, the, pull it from 40 feet away, so be it. 
I mean, you at some point, you just got to live with it. He shot six for 11 on contested shots. He shot three of 10 on uncontested shots, which is crazy to think about. He's six of 11 when he's contested. So I don't know if there are all that many, you know, I don't know what to what to do about that. If he's going to make six for 11 and contest it more. Um, and the other thing is he's not, he's not getting his shots uh, assisted in a massive way, right? They just got the ball in his hands. And when you were talking about how they were, you know, running a little bit different offense in part than they have in the past, well, that's because they just got to get the ball in that guy's hands. And then you just let him do everything plays off of him, everything. And you know the gravity he has on the entire team. But he's not hes not running around screens, catching the ball, and making shots. He's got the ball right when they come up the court. And so I, I would try to get the ball out of his hands. If that's it's a long-winded way of saying, yeah, I, I try to get the ball out of his hands as much as I possibly can. What do you do? I don't know. I mean, it's a tough situation here because, like, no matter what you do, the Warriors can get something out of it. Uh, like, they, like statistically, they've been at their best when they are blitzed. Like, when Steph is blitzed in the pick and roll, they put up higher numbers in the postseason than when they switch against him or drop coverage. Mm. Um, and granted, there's different levels of drop coverage. I just think with Steph, if you're the Celtics, if drop continues to be ineffective, even with the high drop, or it's nearly a show, and if switching isn't working, which I still think they should do more of that, just to just to do more of it, just to see how it works before they go to a blitz. If that doesn't work, then then Boston would have to do something they haven't done all season. Boston is one of the, the least frequent blitzing teams in the pick and roll in the entire league. I believe on second spectrum they were the third uh, lowest with the amount of blitzes they ran throughout the entire season. So that's something they don't do. Is it something they've been saving? Because they've been really, really good when they do do it in a limited amount of times, like close to best in the entire NBA statistically. So, I mean, that'll, that's just something that I have kind of in the back of my mind. Like, what is Boston going to do against Steph in the pick and roll if it comes to the point they got to do something they haven't done all year? And that's blitz. Yeah, uh, you know, earlier I was talking about how he, he's not getting them off of running off, of, you know, running around everywhere, then catching and shooting. Only two of his shots were assisted. Two. Two buckets were assisted the entire game. Now, the other thing is, maybe it's not as grand a concern if you could clean up the turnovers and those guys can make some damn shots for Boston because Curry had 29 in the game. Now, he did not play in the fourth quarter. But 14 of those that Curry scored were off Boston turnovers. So you could do all the, this is how we want to guard Steph Curry. That's when it all falls apart. The first trick is, don't turn the ball over so we're not scrambling around in open space against this guy. Mm. That's when he is a killer. That's when he's killing us. He had half his points off of their turnovers. So trick number one is, don't turn the ball over so he can't get out in space so we can actually decide what we want to do. Show, blitz, whatever it may be. Because that's where he is 
damaging us. That's when he's getting out into open space, and there's there is no defense for that. Come on. When he's just flying up the court off a turnover, he's got whoever is closest to him guarding him, and half the time he's just pulling up from wherever. And you know this. You see some of those shots he took, and you're like, Jesus. Anybody else took those outside of, I guess, Jordan Poole. (laughs) No coach would play them for the next three games. I mean, they're just outrageous shots. I just tip my cap, honestly. I don't I don't sit there and go, geez, guys, what can we do? I say, hey, how about we don't let this guy get into open space nearly as much so we stop turning the ball over? The NBA Finals are here, and so is your chance to score big on FanDuel Sportsbook. Throughout the NBA Finals, FanDuel is giving new customers $200 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet as a bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire 14 days after receipt. Bet the money line, point spreads, player props, and you can combine those bets for an even bigger payday with a same-game parlay. So it's game three back in Boston. Maybe you're betting the Celtics to win now that it's back home, and you're taking the over on Jason Tatum three-pointers and the under on Stephen Curry points. If you want to try that out, just sign up with promo code MISMATCH. And if you haven't tried FanDuel, now's the perfect time to give it a shot. Join today with promo code MISMATCH and turn a $5 bet into $200 in free bets, win or lose. Make every game feel like game seven with FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager of at least $5. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable free bet that expires 14 days after receipt. See full terms at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Visit fanduel.com slash RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and Virginia, call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Arizona, call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. In Connecticut, call 1-888-789-7777. In Indiana, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. In Louisiana, call 1-877-770-STOP. In New York, call 1-877-8-HOPE-NEW-YORK. In Tennessee, call redline 1-800-889-9789. In West Virginia, visit 1800gambler.net. I feel like Golden State. And this is a veteran-laden team. Who's, you know, the major parts have been to five finals. I feel like they are a back-against-the-wall, crank-it-up-to-ten-when-they-have-to team. And that was one of those games. I don't know if they are killer instinct, we're-going-to-bury-you type of team, right? Like I. There's a reason why Boston is a three and a half or four point favorite, whatever it is, in the next game. Because I do think that this is going to go, these teams are both good. They're going to make adjustments. And I think it's probably going to go back and forth for a little while. And Boston will have it, you know, feel like it really needs to get a win. It'll be the first time in a home crowd in the finals game. And I'd imagine they'll be jacked up. Their role players will play well, probably get game three. And then, the Warriors will feel like, hey, backs against the wall. We've got to get this done, and we'll probably get some epic game four and might be the first really good game in the series. That's what I'd guess, but I don't know. Despite these both these games being double-digit margins, I feel like it's been pretty fun to watch. Yeah, it's I mean, been great. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, I'm enjoying both these games, even though it's double digits. I'd love to have a down-to-the-wire game. That'd be great. Wouldn't that be fun if we got a game to go down to like, you know, a potential game winner like we got game seven, Boston, Miami? Yeah, that'd be sick. I I hope we get that tomorrow night on Wednesday. uh, Game three, that'd be sensational. By the way, what did you think about uh, Gary Payton coming back? What did you think about his impact? 
enormous because it gives him another guy to play. Yeah. Very you good know? defensively. He did a good job on Tatum. Like, he's smaller, but he doesn't play small. And he goes hard, kind of does a little bit of everything, doesn't take bad shots. You know, he's three he, for he, three. He's got three rebounds. He's got three assists. He just kind of, yeah. you know, you need role players. Short, short role playmaking as a screener or spot up shooting, cutting. Like, he just plays his role at a high level. Yo, tell me you saw his dad's shirt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, with them guarding each other. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> I mean, that is unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. Uh, Your dad showing up with a shirt of you guarding him? <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous, good. Ridiculous uh, shirt. It's amazing. It is amazing. <laughs> I'll give him that. Okay, well, where, can, where can we get that shirt? Where can yeah. we get that? All right, what do you make of Tatum and the, you know, one of the storylines was this is the worst plus minus anyone's had since they started tracking it. He had this big scoring game, and yet he's a minus 36 in the game, which is a 36 is a monster number. What did you, you feel like it? it was, did you feel like it was his fault? No. No. No, I don't think you were watching no. that game going, oh, my God, they suck with Tatum out there. I thought, right. <laughs> I mean that 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 run that the Golden State Warriors went on. I tweeted this out. You you can put those shots up against any shots in a run in NBA history. Those were insane. The one that Curry had on the sideline in front of the bench that he pulled. I mean, he's ten. That was like the Lillard shot for God's sakes, <laughs> right? And then the pool shots. Come on, double crossover. Has he step back three from half court? Like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> hey, here here's, here, here's the thing. I mean, well, first on Tatum, like, I mean, I don't, I don't read too much into it. That, that right. third quarter explosion is, you know, insane what the Warriors did during that run um, to help inflate that stat. But with Jordan Poole, like you just mentioned him, and, and like granted they were ahead by a lot when his explosion started, I wonder if maybe that's what he needed. He needs like something to feel good. He's been so cold. Does it really matter when that moment came and now that moment came and now he's feeling good mentally, the approach, because he hasn't had a great game in a while. Maybe he just needed Derek White to try to jump over him (laughs) so he could try to trip him. Yeah, that's what unlocked him. Derek White, I I haven't read it yet this morning because I was prepping for the pod, but Amir and Fader posted a feature story on Derek White. And anytime there's a, a Fader feature, you got to read it. So I, I'm looking forward to reading that later today. A Derek White feature by Marin Fader. Yeah, he's gotten a lot of love over the course of the last couple yeah. of days, too, because yeah. I, I saw the story. Uh, there was one that was out there that I read earlier where the Brad Stevens quotes were just effusive with praise, like the perfect teammate willing to do anything it takes to win. You know, this is the kind of guy we wanted to get in here. And clearly, you know, given his what 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 he has brought to the table for them in the playoffs, and now he appears to be an essential piece for them, and his performances are so important to their success and or lack of success. That was truly a stroke of genius to pull off that trade. It was the perfect guy for the for the team for sure. So he had a after game one a Beatles hoodie on. Okay, and, and and I asked him as he was walking off the podium. I was like, Derek, who, who's your favorite Beatle? And he turns and he said Lennon. But me and Bobby Manning 
who works for local, you know, CLNS radio in Boston, very talented kid. Um, we both heard him say Jay Lennon. It sounded like he said Jay Lennon and not John Lennon, not Lennon, but Jay Lennon. <laughs> and and I, I, I don't think I misheard him, but it was just an interesting way to answer Jay Lennon. I might be wrong. I wonder if he even knows. I wonder if it's his thing. You know, all these players now, I, you know, I cover a team with a bunch of young guys on it. They'll, they'll, yeah, they'll wear like, they'll wear like Fleetwood Mac shirts with Stevie Nicks on it and have no idea who Stevie Nicks is. They but got Ramon named, shirts and they got. But Chris, you know. he named his son Hendrix. Oh, and I be- okay. And I, believe, and I believe it was after Jimi Hendrix, according to some of my self Well, then maybe he was just giving his first initial. Yeah, I know. I've just never heard someone say Jay Lennon. It's John Lennon. John Lennon's, you know, one syllable. John, Jay, John, Jay. Like, what difference does it make? Interestingly enough, I went to, when we were in uh, New York last week, we took that, the carriage ride around Central Park with the kids. You know, and it's Mm -hmm. super fun because they're pointing out everything like, hey, that's where the snowball fight in Elf was. And that's where that uh, pigeon lady from Home Alone 2 was. And like, so they, they knew like so many of the places that they had seen in movies and whatnot. We had a really good... Uh, My brain doesn't work like that. I don't make those connections. Oh, really? <laughs> you don't? No, I don't. You don't remember scenes in movies? I, I, I just, no, not really, no. no wow. I, no. I mean, it's pretty big scenes. Those are pretty famous scenes, no. and if you've seen those movies. So Which anyways, movies? Elf with Will Ferrell. Oh, There's yeah, a snowball that's... fight with his brother. No idea. It's in that's Central so Park. Ago. Home Alone 2. Pigeon ladies in that. Anyway, I can't remember. I can't remember a thing when I how when did Home Alone two come out? Nineteen ninety three, ninety two, something know. like that. I don't. Know. I don't remember that. So we're we're going through. <laughs> we end up at Strawberry Fields. The point of this is we end up at Strawberry Fields. I know that. I I know. I know Strawberry okay. Fields. Yeah, yeah. The guy points out the you know the, the you know the uh, house on the corner, townhouse on the corner where John Lennon lived, and he was shot outside it by a fan. And he goes through the story and whatever else. But this is what he says. And I did not know this. He said, Yoko Ono still lives there. And I said, really? She's really? Same house? 88 years old. He said, she's 88. She still lives there. Yoko Ono. I was like, damn, man. No way. Yeah, that's what he said. No way. She yes. still lives there? This is what he said. I was like, man, I hope she walks out on that balcony. That'd be cool. How wild, though. Like, you know, like, she, like, so I guess she could, theoretically, she just walks out on that balcony. She sees, like, tourists every single day of her life visiting, you know, this this memorial wow. that they have to John Lennon, this strawberry fields with the big Imagine thing on the on the ground. Super I just, cool. Uh, I just Googled this. So New York Post in 2020 has a story about Yoko Ono. It says, Ono has reported assets of $700 million. She, oh, my she God. Still own, she still owns multi-million dollar properties in Manhattan, as well as hundreds of rolling acres in upstairs, upstate Delaware County, public record show. She lives in the same sprawling nine-room apartment on the seventh floor of the Dakota that yep. she once shared with John. There she also is. keeps an adjacent unit at the West 72nd Street building for visitors. Wow. There's no That's way a, that carriage ride uh, uh, driver was wrong. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I mean, I guess he was right. He's a trustworthy source. 88. That's crazy. Still living there. 
Yoko Ono. What year was he shot? Late 70s, right? 80, 80 81. I Is think. 80, 81? I think so. Let me, I let me check. I don't, I don't remember the year he he died. 1980. December 80. 8th, 1980. Wow. Age 40 years old. That's too bad. John that Lennon was wild. amazing. 42 years. Yeah. She's lived yeah. in that place since just since that happened. Who, who's your favorite Beatle? Probably Paul McCartney. Okay. I mean, just because how, how come? I, why, why Paul? Because I have uh, he's been a part of like my life since I was yeah. a little kid, right? Yeah. Like I have an awareness of him that I don't the other ones. That yes, I can go watch the old videos, and I'm certainly appreciative of the John Lennon songs and whatever else. But I think I think Paul McCartney. You're, you're not. You're just not a peace guy. I just like feel peace. like he's. Well, he didn't want peace inside the band necessarily. I mean, I am I'm very <laughs> sensitive to the guy that, you know, found the girl and broke up the band. You know what I mean? <laughs> Had her around all the time. And yep. you know what I mean? I think I'm more of a Paul uh, guy. I mean, I'm gonna I, tell mean, you I, I, th- I think Paul Paul McCartney's kinda like the Kareem Abdul Jabbar of, of maybe, music. The, maybe the longevity, so. the longevity, the peaks. Like he continued to sustain greatness for a long, long time after his prime. He's still making good music today. I just, I think that if I met Paul McCartney, I would love Paul McCartney. You know what I mean? But I, if I you met John Lennon, like if John Lennon, oh, was still he'd alive, blow you off in a yeah, second. Yeah, yes. Exactly. But yes. Paul McCartney seems like he'd be a nice guy. He'd shake yes. your hand. He'd be like, oh yeah, yeah. I really liked Wings. You know? Did Did you watch that carpool karaoke that he did? Oh, with James Corden? Oh, yeah. my God. Very good. Very Yo, good. Yo, that got mega emotional. That's the only time I got, like, when he was talking about his dad and his grandpa and everything else. Mm. Oh, my God. I don't remember that. It, from it. I just I just remember feeling happy it, watching it. It gets heavy in the middle of that, but he seems like the coolest dude. He really does. Paul he McCartney. still puts on a really great concert, too. I guarantee like, I, he does. I, I, I saw him with my dad at Fenway Park, I think, in 20, 2009, 2010, something like that. Random opener. MGMT. Are you familiar with that band? Am have, I like, familiar? Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I want to throw you a la- I want to throw the alley to tell me that he's a Memphis Grizzlies fan. He's a Come friend. On, I know. I know. He's a friend. Andrew Van uh, Weingarten yeah, from Memphis. He, he's he's a friend. Yes, from Memphis. Yep. Uh, so MGMT opened for Paul McCartney, and they were great. Uh, and then Paul McCartney puts on an amazing show, man. Like his energy on stage at his age. I don't know how that dude does it, but I want to. I want to see him again. And by the way, like I mentioned, Wings earlier, his band in the seventies, great yep. album, Band on the Run. Uh, Red Rose Speedway. Um, what else? Venus and Mars. Really good albums. But his new album, McCartney Three, it's pretty good. Really, for a guy who's in his eighties, it's pretty All good. Right. McCartney right. Three's got some good songs on it. Just throwing that out there. So, are you a Paul? Oh, he's guy not even too? in his eighties. He's seventy nine. Seventy nine years old. I just looked it up. Seventy nine. He turns eighty on June eighteenth. That's uh, round game seven. Are you a Paul guy too? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Paul. Paul's probably one for me, and then John, John, and then George. I mean, and then I, Ringo. I like, oh, I, 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 like a lo- I like a lot of George solo stuff, but um, I like a lot of John solo stuff too. It's very close. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, those three, those three are kind of on their own. It's one Paul. It's one Paul, two John, three George, four Ringo. That's really what it is. But I like. A, I think George is very underrated. I agree with that. 
Is I, it actually, I say that, is it possible to be underrated when you're a Beatle? Absolutely. It is? Yes. Even as a Beatle? Yes. Absolutely. It's, yes, it's possible. Right? He's kind of the Draymond. Right? There's Clay and yeah. there's Steph, and then there's Draymond. All right, back to the finals. Do you feel any differently about your Boston and seven prediction after we've seen two games? No, not really. Um, I thought it was interesting this morning. Nick Wright changed his prediction to to Celtics in six. I mean, we kind of hinted at that on last week's show where we said, well, maybe this won't go even seven. I asked you, does this change your prediction, Chris? It does not. No, not really. No, I mean, I still think I'll stick with seven right now. Yeah, I think it's going seven games and then whoever... And you just decide who you think is going to win the seventh game. But but would six surprise you either way? No. Warriors or Celtics? No, me neither. I agree. No. But five would absolutely stun me. I see no circumstance where somebody wins the next three games. I think it's going to go back and forth all the way to the end. That's what I think. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Tired of paying for cable TV? Switch to Hulu Plus Live TV today to watch over 95 live channels for sports, news, shows, and more. Plus, you'll get access to Hulu's entire streaming library with access to Disney Plus and ESPN Plus all in one plan. No long-term contract, no hidden fees, and no clunky cable box. Get Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Today's episode of The Mismatch is brought to you by USAA Insurance. When you're a homeowner in the military community, peace of mind is priority. And USAA Homeowners Insurance has the award-winning service to give you just that. They'll help you protect your home and what's inside of it at the high standard their members have grown to expect. If you have to file a claim, the process is transparent and easy. And you can do it all right in the USAA app. And they offer many discounts to help their members save. That could put your wallet at ease, too. Visit USAA.com slash homeowners to learn more. Eligibility restrictions apply. USAA means United Services Automobile Association and its affiliates. San Antonio, Texas. They're going to yeah, go back so. and forth all yeah. the way to the end. One, 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 one. Yeah, I think that's yeah. possible. Yeah. Now, I would change that if Boston wins these next two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, both at home. Yeah, Yeah. I would too at that point. But I think they'll probably split just like they did. Well, I was talking with someone yesterday who who said their prediction for the series is that Celtics win the two at home. They go up 3-1, but then the Celtics win. And then the Warriors win the next two to force a game seven. That would be a crazy Ah. timeline if that were to happen. Boston up 3-1. Warriors tie it up 3-3 in a game seven in SF. I think they're... Chase Center, that'd be crazy. I think they're both good teams, well-coached, that make good adjustments. And, you know, these teams have been given to extremes uh, with the adjustments. They've come out and they have had massively different performances after they have lost games. Uh, We saw that. In the Miami series, we saw it with Golden State in their last series. So I think that I think you're probably going to. Uh, I'd imagine Boston wins three and Golden State wins four, or vice versa. I think they're splitting Boston. You know the teams that 
the team that loses is the one that watches the game tape and makes the most extreme adjustments. And usually when you're a really good team and you start to change things around, and I do think the Boston home crowd can help them, uh, I would be surprised if Boston didn't win three. I would. But at that point, now, Warriors are in that backs-against-the-wall position. We can't go down 3-1. Probably get a massive Grand Slam effort out of them in four. That's what I guess. You know? But I have, I'll be, I, I will say, for scores that have been relatively non-competitive, um, I have been entertained. It's been fun to watch. How much do you care about TV ratings? Oh, I, those are I, down. No, People I couldn't care less. About it. I couldn't yeah. care less. I think I think it's. I mean, I saw a tweet this morning that said TV ratings are down overall twenty six percent in June twenty twenty two compared to June twenty nineteen. Just people are outside like, of their houses. Well, yeah, I mean, but like also we were all locked like the, up the, for the last two. No, no, years. no, no, no. No, I said twenty nineteen. Mm. Twenty nineteen. So oh. three years ago, yeah, 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 down 26%. So that means a quarter down from that. So it's like, how much can you really read into ratings? Of course, ratings are down. More people are streaming. More people are, are just not watching live. It's a changing world, man. Like we've talked about this before. Your son watches like 10 minute re- re- recap videos on YouTube in the morning. Did you see like those get like 5 million views in 24 hours after they're posted on the NBA YouTube page? I was thinking about this this weekend. So my business is sports, so I watch a ton of sports. I watch golf tournaments on the weekend. Last night, I watched some of the college baseball that was on just because it was on. I love watching sports. I do. I love watching sports. It is the only thing I watch on television. I was just thinking about that this weekend. It's really the only thing I watch on TV, I don't watch anything else. Really. I don't watch anything else. It's like I would watch, you know, like when my mom moves out to L.A. later this year, I'll watch the next season of The Bachelor with her, right? I'll watch that with her. Like It's our show we watch together. I love doing that with her, you know? Someday if I have a girlfriend, maybe we'll have a show we watch together. But maybe not. Maybe we'll stream it. No, that's Might what... Might not watch it uh, on yeah, TV, if I, right? if I watch that stuff, like, so this weekend, uh, there was no finals games on. I think like everybody else. I was home, whatever it was. Was it Saturday night or something? Yeah. And I was screwing around. I ended up watching... Uh, you know, like when you, when, you know, when you turn on Netflix and the trailer starts playing, uh, you know, once, once it lands on something and it just starts playing the show. And so I, somebody texts me, I look down at my phone and there's like a trailer playing in the background. And I looked up and I was like, I started to get interested in it. It was that Leah Remini thing on Scientology. I was like, I had no intention of watching this. I was like, this is pretty damn interesting. So, and I was just looking for something to watch on Netflix. And then I watched Happy Gilmore with my son because I saw it was on Netflix. I I, uh, that's it. I was I forgot uh, with Tom Cruise, our conversation last week, I, I was recommended by my friend um, Prince Will. He recommended the, the Netflix doc going clear about Scientology. Okay. I haven't checked that out yet, but I gotta, I gotta watch that. The the Leo one that you mentioned, that's really good. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to me. I mean, again, it's like I, once I, so I watched the first couple episodes because I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. You think we have any listeners who are Scientologists? I don't know, maybe. Hit, I, hit us up. Don't I don't just, recruit us, but hit us up. I just didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. So, anyways, 
I, and, and so don't hit me up with, oh, she she's lying or or that's not good to watch or what. I, look, it was interesting. I watched the first couple of episodes, yeah. but then I looked at the end, you know, like when he could go to like uh, episodes or whatever. It's there's like three seasons of this thing. And I was like, well, this is pretty big commitment. I don't know if I care that much. Uh, I, so, I can't do three seasons. I'm not trying to watch three. I was like, it's pretty interesting at the beginning. You know, I will watch Going Clear. I want to watch Going Clear. Okay. That, that's like a what under two hour doc. Okay, I, I, I can I can handle that. All right. Uh, well, By the way, that, we, we weren't we weren't able to watch Hustle yet. I I looked for it on Netflix on Saturday night. It doesn't come out till Wednesday. Tomorrow. It's my. Fault. I know. I was. I know. It's okay. I was, I was so, so disappointed. I was ready to go. I was, I like, was I'm going to watch Hustle tonight. No. <laughs> hey, that's how I ended up on the Leah Remini thing. <laughs> I was looking for Hustle. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for Hustle. Next thing I know, I'm watching about something about yeah. Scientology. All right. So, <laughs> not the plan. Now you got a, a Tom, Cru- Tom Cruise tattoo on your back. Yeah, I do. You're a Scientologist. All right, a couple other things before we get out of here. Quinn Snyder stepped down as coach of the Utah Jazz. So Trader Danny and the group at Utah is going to have to find themselves a new head coach. We've talked a lot about what Utah could possibly do in their offseason because felt like they might have hit a limit on what the Mitchell-Gobert combo is capable of. We know that Danny Ainge is probably going to redo that roster. But head coaching-wise... um, I've always thought Quinn Snyder was a good head coach. Uh, I guess the rumors are he's going to sit out for a year, uh, do whatever. But were you surprised that he stepped down? Were you surprised at the timing of when no, he stepped down? Not, not at all. I mean, Mark Stein reported on his Substack back in March that he was resisting contract extension talks, that there was rumors of him being the successor to Greg Popovich, uh, in San Antonio, there's been, you know, noise about Quinn Snyder leaving Utah for quite some time now. Uh, the only question is going to be whether he coaches next season. Tim McMahon from ESPN said how um, because he has one year left on his deal, the Jazz could restrict him from coaching next year if they wanted to. They could. Doesn't mean they will. We'll see about that. But for but for Snyder, it, seem, it seems like for quite a while now it's been heading in this direction. So not surprised. I was surprised in some ways, by the, the Adrian Wojnarowski report that said Donovan Mitchell is unsettled, unnerved, and disappointed by the news. Um, I mean, I think, like I said, I think it's a, a bit much to, to feel so much, so much shock um, by the news. I mean, you knew this was coming for quite a while now. It, I, I, wonder, I wonder if maybe it wasn't, uh, if he wasn't really fed all the information, perhaps, mm-hmm. And he just wants to know what's going to happen. Or if this is his way of pushing his way out. If this is an opportunity, an organization in transition with a new head coach where it's now is the time to jump out and try to get to Miami or New York. I wonder if that's what's happening here. The Heat want a star, Chris. They want Beal. They want Mitchell. They want to get a star to pair with Jimmy Butler. They want to go for the title next year. The Heat want a star. That's, that's what everybody in the NBA has been talking about. The Heat want another star. Is it Donovan Mitchell, who trains in Miami? Could be. I wondered if there was some assurance that Quinn recently got that there's about to be a Popovich swan song and that, you know what I mean? Like, without explicitly, without it being reported everywhere, that on the low, 
he knows, hey, Greg's Greg's not going to coach after next year. That's probably it's probably going to be his last year. Exactly and we, what and I we, was thinking. And we'd exactly. love to have you, right? Yep. And so exactly. And that's where one, one, one year off. That's where I could yeah. see the Mitchell thing with the unnerving. Yes, maybe wants out, but also he might have felt like Quinn was coming back. And I don't want to say he got assurances that he was going to come back, but he probably felt like, hey, he's still going to be my head coach here. Um, and Quinn might have felt that way. But once it became real that, like, hey, I've got a landing spot after a year. I could take a year off, and then I can, I'm can. i going to be the head coach of the Spurs, that it was kind of understood and it became real, then maybe he said, you know what? I'm just going to step down from this thing. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to any of these guys because I know after a year where I'm going to be because Greg's not for long there and I'm going to go take over that organization where I want to be. The, the other side of it could be it's a great excuse for Donovan Mitchell. Oh, sure is. Right? right? He wants out. And so now he can say, I'm unnerved by all this. He might have known. He might have just known it was coming anyway. But he can use this as saying, uh, look now, but let's not talk about my commitment. Right? And so he's got a way sure. to not be a bad guy. Yeah, but who cares about being the bad guy? Well, uh, some guys do. Got, good guys do. He And he's a good dude. He does. He is. Yeah, I mean, by you, all accounts, Donovan Mitchell is a good dude. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do. I it's just, it's just. I think for Mitchell, here's the challenge. Let Let's say it is that. Let's say he wants to get out of Utah, mm-hmm. and let's say he wants to go to Miami or New York. Right? Let's say that's the case. Well, no guarantee that you get there. You still have three guaranteed seasons left on your contract. Yep. A- any team could be like, oh, yeah, we want to trade for a 25-year-old guard, multi-time all-star that's had great success in the postseason. Any team could do that. The Magic, the Kings, Pacers, anybody out of nowhere can say, yeah, we're going we're gonna to go for you. It doesn't mean my, just because you want out doesn't mean Miami or New York is going to be the team with the best offer, which is what Utah is going to take. They're going to take the best offer, period. So that's the challenge for Mitchell is the timing when you have three years left on your deal and you're so young, any team could want to take a shot on you. The Charlotte gig. You have two names that have come up most prominently, Mike D'Antoni and Kenny Atkinson. I'll say this. I think if I'm a Charlotte fan, I'm excited either way. I agree completely if with you. If you get Atkinson, yeah. these are like, you know, so many times they do these coaching searches and you see the names come out and you're like, ah. Exactly. This is a, this is a, this has already been one of our favorite league pass teams, especially because of the announcer. Um, But, you know, you got D'Antoni, you know, LaMelo's going to put up these crazy ass stats. They won't play a lick of defense and they'll be flying up and down the court and throwing alley-oops to Miles Bridges and whoever else. And, uh, and you would have some freaky numbers put up by LaMelo. On the flip side, Kenny Atkinson was a proven young team culture builder in Brooklyn, right? So I just don't think either way it's going to be fun. I think I'd probably lean towards Atkinson just at this point because I don't know if D'Antoni, how long 
he would be there. Um, and Atkinson feels like the kind of guy that I could hire and, you know, yeah, Hope is going to be my coach for the next five to ten years, for sure. Um, so, yeah, I think that uh, either way, either way, uh, Atkinson's Brooklyn team was one of the absolute most fun teams to watch on League Pass, and all the D'Antoni teams are fun. They're fun. I mean, the, the Houston... Really? You, know, you didn't, you didn't the, like Houston? No, no, no. Like I, I, I'm saying the Houston... James Harden, you know, pounding the ball into the ground, team notwithstanding. That was a no. lot of D'Antoni years, though. I know. But, I mean, he's been coaching for 20 friggin' years. I've seen a lot of D'Antoni teams, you know? Yeah. And I guess some of the Knicks and Lakers teams weren't as fun. I'm just saying, if he's got LaMelo, it'll be fun. We know him with the with the guy like that. You know. With, and, and so, when, the, so when's the last time D'Antoni was fun? The 2000s when Bush was president? Well, is that, is that really the last time D'Antoni teams were fun for you? Uh, the we, <laughs> insanity. When was that? It was fun. <laughs> yeah, for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the fact that I remember it, you know, so yeah. much that that one was fun. I think that was fun. I've like I've liked D'Antoni, including the Houston years. But I'm I'm the weirdo that that enjoyed watching their innovative style. Yeah. Uh, so, I, uh, yeah, I don't think they can go wrong with the Charlotte thing. And then the last thing we got to hit, we're about two weeks away from the draft, Kev. Um, and it feels like, you know, Smith, Holmgren, Bancaro, everybody's got them top three in some order, okay? Mm-hmm. Four is where it changes, whether it's Shaden Sharp or Jaden Ivey or it's whoever, Keegan Murray, whoever. Um, and Sacramento has that pick. and. There's already some talk out there. Hey, maybe Sacramento, you know, that's a that's right in the range where that pick could be moved, whether that's moved down a little and get something else, whether that's we are able to reshape our roster a little more by acquiring good player. We can use this asset. We're not going to bring in necessarily a fourth guy. Um, what do you make of that and the idea that there's not a surefire four? So that could absolutely be used to do whatever Sacramento wants to do to try to improve their team. Yeah, so, I mean, what I put on the ringer on Monday about that was, um, like, for them, that they want to win. They, well, they want to find a guy who can help them win now. Uh, they want to build around Fox, Sabonis, Davion Mitchell, and make it work with those guys. So if it's a trade down, the, here's some of the stuff I mentioned. Tell me which one appeals most to you, Chris. This is what I had in my article. This is just all theoretical. Sixth pick and Malcolm Brogdon from the Pacers. Maybe it's TJ Warren. Uh, how about maybe Josh Hart in the seventh pick from Portland? The Spurs could offer somebody, you know, with their pick. Does, does any of that appeal to you if, you if you're Sacramento or do you want to stay there at number four? I could get more than... Heart and seven. So I would get what do they have? What do they have later? Do they the have Kings? A, no, no, no. Or the Portland. Blazers. Portland. Yeah. Because Portland is the one that got a, got the booby prize in this. The so idea the, yeah, that the, they would be wanting the, to move up is totally real, especially to appease Dane, right? 
Yeah, the Blazers have 36 and 59 in addition to seven. The Kings have 37 and 49 in addition to four. Yeah, so I for sure would want seven, thir- seven to 36. Sure, then, which is very, which is fair there. And then yeah. if you're the Kings, you can package 36 and 37 and try to move up into the late first or yeah, even that, just up higher into the second. Yeah, and I'm trying to wear them out. I'm trying to, you know, you got to take on some of my crappy contracts to make me, you know, where I can but, well, well, reshape this thing, roster though. a little easier. The thing is, is the Blazers are a team that could also move out because, you know, as I reported in that same piece on Monday, is that they they're trying to add a star. Yeah. The Blazers want a star. So like they're they're interested in guys like they might not be able to get, but they have interest in like the Bradley Beals and the Zach Levines of the world. Even Miles Bridges from Charlotte uh, is a guy that I've heard mentioned quite a lot for them, too. So, you know, Portland could move out of seven. They might trade out of that pick. Boy, that miles a lot, a lot of a lot of movement could happen. What a what a what a monster backfire for Charlotte on the Bridges thing. God, I mean, you could have had him for just a, a pennies on the dollar compared to what he's going to get now. Well, he didn't take the deal. He that, but they didn't offer. offer him nothing. Yeah, they didn't offer enough. No, they lowballed him. They lowballed him. They, yeah, they lowballed him. You could have gotten mm-hmm. him on a totally reasonable deal. You know, guys want to be secure. You lock them up for 70, 80 million bucks, whatever it would have been, you know, and the guy feels great about everything. You sign to a four-year 80 or whatever. And instead, now he's going to go and he's he's trying to get 130-something million dollars, whatever the hell he's trying to get. It's crazy. Mm. You know, kind of wild to think about. I don't know. Do you think... Do you look at it and say, there's three that there's no way if I was in the top three, I'd move out of that? No, nah, I'm always and, open to trading. Oh, really? Yeah, always. But I we know trades. that there's, a, do, do you, all right, is there a big gap from three to four to you? Probably. And like on draft night, yes. On draft night, there's a big gap. There is. But, but like if you look back five years from now, will there be a big gap? Maybe not. Right, because like an Ivy, a Sharp, those guys could turn into great players. Oh, for and then sure. the, and then the gap might not look so wide. But on draft night itself, when you're evaluating there, these guys, yes, there is. Yeah. Um, and certainly, there's always those teams that had the crappy year that didn't get the draft pick that they wanted to get, and will be trying to move up. That's for sure. Yes, absolutely. All right. It's going to do it for today's show. Thank you to our executive producer Jesse Lopez. As always, Kevin, I will talk to you on Friday. Looking forward to it. Have a good one, everybody. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little 
sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC slim fit trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. 